work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome to the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching postmortem. I'm here with my um, tech savvy, <laughs> very, Oof. very stressed out husband, Jim Anger. <laughs> Hello, happy Mardi Gras. Uh, happy Mardi Gras. We're under a tight, compressed schedule, and so of course that meant that the mics were out this, this morning for some reason. But of course. Um, but we can do this. We can be lightning fast. Yes. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> um, how you doing? It's Mardi Gras. There are a couple other moving pieces that are not normally a part of my Tuesday, but we are making it work for the sake of the holiday. So let's get going. No more banter. <laughs> no more um, banter. How was this sermon? Oh, and yeah, why are we doing? We're do- oh, this is suspicious. We're doing the lightning fast podcast on the like most difficult passage you've encountered in the last decade. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I would dispute that this is the most <laughs> difficult, but it, it was not a softball. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And and so here we are with the Lightning Fest. Um, you told me a, a, maybe a week or two ago that you had been brewing on this, this passage for a little bit because you knew it was coming up, mm-hmm. and um, that you were just praying for and working on clarity for yeah. what the message would be. So tell us about that. Tell us about what you were burdened for with this passage. Yeah, this has been called the Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19, verses 1 to 29. This has been called a text of terror as it relates to sexuality, as it relates to women. Uh, And I don't know, I felt felt like God met me. And I felt by the time I got to Sunday morning, I felt good about what I was going to preach about and what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, And... Yeah, a couple of things that we can get to in presence of the Lord when it comes to interpretation. But the the bottom line is this is a passage like this is sort of why I've wanted to do Genesis. And the sermon text for this coming week to him is, mm-hmm. is also rough. It's when Lot, Lot's living in a cave with his two daughters and right, the daughters right, right. get him drunk, yep. sleep with him on successive nights. So that's another rough passage. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is just a masochistic impulse on my own part. But if I had not committed, if we had not committed to preaching serially through Genesis, yeah, passage by passage, yeah, there's no way that I would choose Sodom and Gomorrah. There's no way that I'd choose that coda with lot and his daughters right. and so i i'm grateful for the for the discipline of seeking to be obedient to the scriptures and what i prayed during the prayer of illumination was heartfelt where we have the standard liturgical call and response this is the word of the lord thanks be to god i'm sure there were people in the pews thinking like is this the word of the lord is this a passage that 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 we can trust and mm-hmm. become obedient to. And then the burden going into the passage this past week was what are proper responses? How might we be molded by all of this? Right. And I can see, I can see that um, the uh, it, needing to c- come backwards to a frame of like understanding that difficult texts in the Bible are not there to, 
just skim over or ignore, just like focus on the happier, easier passages, but to wrestle with something, wrestling with the difficult things is where there's the most growth or the most um, conviction of the truth of the scriptures, as opposed to it just being a fairy tale, as some people claim. Um, It's where the rubber hits the road with how Paul says to Timothy, all scripture is God breathed and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Right. How is this a God breathed scripture that's profitable to us? Sure. And so, I mean, this it really is the next section. I mean, yeah, tell us more it. about the, the Bible passage. So there's challenges all over the place. But there's challenges all over the place. So Sodom and Gomorrah is is famous, infamous even from a cultural perspective, even if people don't know the details of this story, mm-hmm. there is some um, recognition of the Sodom and, and, and Gomorrah story and the couple of interpretive cruxes that were on my radar long before I sat down and, and looked at commentaries. There's the question of what the sin in this passage is by the men and then also what Lot does to the, his daughters when he offers them to uh, the men of Sodom. Mm-hmm. And with that, with the first one that the question is hospitality versus sexuality in view here, the I wasn't surprised when I saw this, but but it was confirming modern commentators are, are pretty unified. And this is true sort of across the spectrum from more conservative to more progressive commentators, either when it comes to doctrine of scripture or larger theology and ideology. It does seem like the, in the foreground is the hospitality question. And that's what I majored on in this section, addressing sexuality a little bit, because I do think it's it's. It's in the passage mm-hmm. and should be talked about. It would have felt like a cop-out for me not to bring any of that stuff up. But both in the within the story itself, verses 1 to 29 of Genesis 19, the previous context where hospitality has been a theme so far, and then even how hospitality is emphasized in the Mosaic Law and the sorts of things that are said about Sodom and Gomorrah in the rest of the scriptures, so some canonical interpretation, pretty settled that the primary factor or issue here is a failure of hospitality, where Mm -hmm. these angelic beings come to Sodom and they are not treated in a hospitable way. First, in a minor way, by, by Lot, which we don't need to get into, but his hospitality towards these men pales in comparison to the hospitality shown by Abraham and Sarah to these men earlier. And then certainly they aren't given the red carpet treatment by, by, by the men of Sodom. More burdensome coming in. So if, if that was confirming to me when I looked at the commentators here, the, the one that was more of an open question in my mind is what to say about how Lot deals with his own daughters and mm-hmm. the, the verse in question here, verse eight, behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Right. How do we, how do we think about that? And there, there, there was an aha moment. And this is something that was mentioned in all of the commentaries where the, the big reveal is at the end of the passage, why is Lot rescued? So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and mm, sent mm-hmm. Lot out in the midst. So right. there was some relief when I was looking at this passage to find that it seems pretty clear on a closer reading that Lot God does not, not approve yeah. of what 
what Lot is doing here, and Lot is not rescued on the basis of his wise and good thought to offer his daughters to the to the men of Sodom. Yeah, have is is that something that you'd heard before, or is that new? I mean, chances are you haven't heard a ton of sermons on uh-huh, Genesis uh-huh. 19. I mean, I think it would have to be back in my high school days, and that's too far in the recesses of my memory. So. Fair enough. <laughs> but it it does make sense to me. But it but it on on the other hand, it is kind of terrible. Yeah. So I guess that's that's the that's the crux of the issue. It is kind of terrible, but comforting that God appears to agree mm-hmm. with with Lot acting terribly here. I, I do have a Howlin' Wolf, M. that uh, if we could go out of sequence... We're going out of order. Because it is <clears throat> it is a, a good set of interpretive questions here. This is from Howlin' Wolf Tom. He wrote in, Tom, thanks for writing in. Uh, the subject of the email is, our lot in life and one of the worst jokes ever. Oh, no. So deeply appreciated. Jim, heavy topic this week. Thank you for handling it with your usual grace intact. Thanks, Tom. We try. I find it difficult personally to wrap my head around the lack of agency women had in that time. It's jarring to hear Lot speak of his daughters in a way that today, in today's framework feels callous and vile. I did have a couple of questions. At the time of Sodom's destruction before the birth of Jesus, God's promise to Abraham saved Lot's life even if he wasn't deserving. How much of that is important of the forgiveness we all get through Jesus' sacrifice for us? Am I reading too much into that? So to take the second question first, and there's a third one here too. Yeah, and that's that's very much so. So if Lot saves us, or if, if Lot is saved while undeserving, and I mentioned that passage in the sermon from Romans 5, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we're, we're undeserving in, in the same way. So... In a subtle way, this passage speaks to <clears throat> grace in all of its graciousness and also inscrutability. But then also the the agency of the women question. This is something that I did wrestle with in commentary reading and, and sermon writing. I feel I feel good saying that ultimately this is not an anti-woman text because God does not approve of the actions of Lot here, but it is the case as well that these daughters don't have a ton of agency and and to modern sensibilities it just seems really retrograde for right. for that reason. So Tom, I thought about it and I really don't have a good answer for it mm-hmm. except to say and this is one of the challenges of biblical interpretation. The scriptures are products of their time. So this is this is a word that is inscripturated into a specific culture in a specific time. So the daughters of Lot had no less agency in this story than more widely in the culture of the time, uh, but that doesn't make it any easier necessarily for us to stomach. the The silver lining here is that if you, even if you look at the Old Testament, there are specific stories and passages where women have much more agency mm-hmm. relative to the surrounding cultures of that period, although. Unfortunately, this doesn't seem to to be one of them. So, right. uh, I'm sure you'll address more of it next week. It's a tough passage. Coming with the next. Yeah, it, well, act, actually, yeah, that's a good thought. So one of the ways that commentators look at the passage next week is that the daughters the daughters take their revenge mm-hmm. on even if they do something that is not <clears throat> something that they should do at a larger level. 
the the women do take their agency back in extracting their own revenge upon upon Lot for how he acted earlier and what they do to Lot. So right. yeah, yep. that's a two parter. It's a good thought. So and I am gonna briefly address that in the sermon. One one other question from Helen with Tom, and then after this, I think we can go to muddying the waters. Also, can you give? And this is something that I was planning on talking about in the podcast. I didn't mention it. Lot's wife. Uh huh. Yeah, the salt. salt. Also, can you give any insight into why Lot's <laughs> wife was punished instead of Lot? Not that losing your wife isn't a punishment, just that it seems on it no unfair in a way. Now that is a that is a sermon topic I remember from high school before. But yeah, what, what was the upshot? I don't know. Um, just like turning. Let's see. Let's see if I was can it dig allegorized. Back. Like I think don't, so. Don't it's like if on... you're looking back after being shown mercy, then I, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Was it just because she looked back or was it purely because of Lot's buffoonery? I feel bad for her. <laughs> Don't we all, Tom? And, and here's his joke. I'd be pretty salty, too. Oh, no. If I were married to someone like He's Lot. fired. So, yeah. Uh, Tom, I appreciate the joke and I appreciate the question. Commentators will observe, and this doesn't really answer the fullness of the question, but the fact that the scriptures say here that she turned into a pillar of salt. The, the location of Sodom and Gomorrah was close to the Dead Sea, which is super, super high salt content. And so it's possible to interpret she turned into salt. Maybe somehow she was struck dead suddenly and then just covered with salt from the, from the Dead Sea. But larger level, the comment... I, Tom, I'll simply repeat to you what what commentators seem to say when I was looking at him. There is a paucity of detail here, Mm -hmm. but the assumption is that Lot's wife, looking back, showed some sort of tie or pull towards Sodom and Gomorrah morally, and that she was still attracted to some sort of disobedience that that was located in in Sodom. And we see, this is something that I've talked about in sermons and podcasts. Eric Mitchell, when he was preaching from Genesis 13, as well said the same thing, where with these chapters of Genesis, there's something to geographic location and direction. And so when Abraham went out of the promised land toward south towards Egypt, that was a descent Mm. and a disobedient descent pretended by the by the locale and then when in Genesis 13 Lot goes from the promised land towards Sodom and Gomorrah that's taken as a disobedient relocation similarly perhaps Lot's wife looking back maybe moving back towards Sodom indicates its own disobedience but Mm -hmm. that's that's all we have Go commentators. So, yeah. Helen Wolf Tom, thank you so much. That was a good one. Yeah. Um, good stuff. Mo- mud- moving on to muddying the waters, where mm-hmm. um, we think about your const- sermon construction. You did spend a good amount of time with um, this longer narrative at the beginning, kind of as your uh, yes. as your, serv- your structure, your overarching structure. Uh, tell us about that. Lightning Hopkins mm-hmm. in the studio as an older blues man in the 1960s with younger musicians. The studio session was going poorly, and the producer comes into the studio, grills the whole band, including Lightning. Why isn't this working? And the musicians correctly say that 
Lightnin Hopkins was not playing the chord changes correctly, but then Lightnin says back, Lightnin, and I, the I think the exact quote I'd have to go back and check. I I I said Lightnin plays the changes when Lightnin want to play the changes. Uh huh. I think what he actually said, and it was it just would have been more obtuse, slightly shorter but punchier. Lightning change would Lightning want to change, <laughs> and um, so it, it was just kind of a stay in your lane moment right, to, right, right. to the younger musicians, and then the recording session went fine. So, from a rhetorical perspective, this is one of those sermons where, if for listeners that opening illustration doesn't land, mm-hmm. then you're going to be kind of lost for the rest of sure. the rest of the sermon. But if I was trying to draw an emotional through line between how those younger musicians must have been humbled. Right. Lightning change when lightning want to change. And I think that's a proper response to this passage too. Yeah, no, it worked for me because I can see like in terms of the context that you're trying to engage, like the modern culture as well as ourselves can look at this and just kind of criticize the patriarchy and the the judgment aspects and not not remember or I don't know to be have to be humbled ourselves to look at God as God and and have that proper attitude so I yeah. think it, it worked for me pretty well nice yeah so and kind of the the main kicker was and we'll talk about this a little bit more in just a second um God is judge but the proper humbling of the passage comes from the twin realities of God having the right to retributive justice, but then also to save by grace. Mm-hmm. And both yeah. of those things should should buzz our tower. And if we're not humbled as followers of Jesus to know that we're saved by grace, then we actually don't get grace at all. And grace is troublesome when we realize that it, it, the whole point of grace is that it doesn't save the good people, it saves the bad people. And so there is, uh, grace affirms the ultimate freedom of God both to judge and to save to mercy. Uh, and then yeah we we need to be we need to be humble as a result and the the direct through line i drew was lighten and change when lighten and want to change sort of like god tells exodus god tells moses in exodus and quoted by paul i will have mercy mm-hmm. on whom i have mercy and that is pretty mind-blowing and the and the proper response is for us to be humbled. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, I hope so. Where are you getting or the I, phrase I so. buzzing your tower? Because you've been keep you keep uh, on using that. Ooh. That was in the sermon. And ah! like, is this from a show? Top Gun. Oh Top Gun Maverick. The original Top Gun. And then, or actually, I don't know if it's in Top Gun Maverick. It just might be original. You've been, to... It's been in your like verbal repertoire, like both in this particular yeah. sermon I wrote it down. And just now, I'm like previously and it is like (sighs) if 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 our listeners could have seen the eye roll that i just received it 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 was epic so do you do you want to talk about god as judge as well uh sure (laughs) okay so god as judge also can can buzz our tower one thing i forgot to say on on sunday morning that i think ameliorates some of maybe this the difficulty as we think about God as judge as as modern people the however you wrote I'll say it this way that there were a lot of bad guys in 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 Sodom and and so for their attempted multiple sexual assaults I think 
at a larger level, as modern people, we will say, should should people that commit sexual assault be negatively judged? Uh, the answer is yes, and I know very few people that would say say no. So let's give God the freedom that we grant within our own civic and criminal courts. And the passage is very clear to say that all of the men of the city were implicated. But before mm-hmm. they lay down, the men of the city, the men of, this is verse 4 of Genesis 19, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man so surrounded surrounded the house. So, yeah, there's the these weren't good guys, and but but then at the, at the larger level, um, yeah, just just wrestling with 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 God as judge. I I went on to talk about hey, if Sodom and Gomorrah is an object lesson for God's judgment at the end of time, uh, don't we tell end time stories all the time <laughs> anyway, like like Last of Us? And I, I'll say two more things here. I think it is a, val- a, a good question for us to ask, is the universe moral or not? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the time when Christians may struggle with the idea of God as judge, especially sort of the end time scenario what seeped into us is this secular vision of reality where life really is random and not going anywhere not from anywhere there's it's there's not a personal universe and ultimately morality is what we construct and paint on a fundamentally amoral universe that's just not the christian view mm-hmm. and if we for ancient people that were not Christians, there was still this idea, Greco-Roman, etc. There's a moral fabric to the universe, and God as judge comports far more easily with with that view. And don't we, as modern people, live as if, uh, even if on a piece of paper, purposeless universe, but when we're wronged, for example, mm-hmm. you still feel yeah, judgment. we are operating in a moral universe where there needs to be judgment. So let's Starting put around all our... age two, 18 months, <laughs> much earlier <laughs> than, 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 than that even one. And then finally, one, one quote that I asked, asked, it's a shorter podcast today. So we're jumping around a little bit. There's a cultural critic named Robert Bella that in the 1980s wrote about how hey, we need to check our own biases when we make moral judgments about other cultures and other time periods. Mm-hmm. And he, he makes the point that for us as modern people, and I think this is, you know, this is 1980s, but I think this is still true today. It's often the case when we make our moral judgments and free the, feel the most free and unconstrained, we're at the same time acting in a deeply enculturated way because that's exactly what everybody else thinks Uh at the same time about how to make moral judgments right now. So don't think that we are objective and unbiased in our own judgments. Right. Especially like you could go to any other country in the world and they'd be like, oh, Americans. Like because the the kind of perspectives that we have are very um, American. Right. Um, And, And just to say one more thing about that, it's arguable that the majority of cultures in the world, whether or not they're Christian or even theist, would have no problem at all with the divine as judge. Mm-hmm. So we are very yeah. much in our own little minority. cultural bubble right. saying, God is love, awesome, give me more of that, but God is judge, 
it's impossible. No way. Yeah. Not true. Um, that's so funny. Well, uh, yeah, since we're jumping around, I'm going to insert a Howlin' Wolf here okay. uh, myself oh. from Clara, who is acting as judge in her own <laughs> perspective. Yeah. Um, she wrote to me on, on my sermon notes, um, we really don't need any more of your singing. Please try and refrain to once every two years. <laughs> Wow. <clears throat> awesome. <laughs> um, and then secondly, also, I am confused why you said we as musicians. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of she's innate a, judgment. She, she's a spicy girl. That's, yes. That's true. I, I don't even remember when I said, like, I, so, I so I was speaking of myself as a musician. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, and just for the record, Em. To ask you, when I sang like the twelve bar blues, oh my gosh! I I thought I was in tune when I went from the one to the four and then back to the one to the five to the four. Whether or not it sounded good, I think I got the intervals correct. Do you agree? You got the intervals correct, Woo! but I I, I still would say I lean towards Clara's perspective that it it's not it's not one of the strongest tools in your toolkit your sermonic toolkit well i would just want people to know that i thought about bringing a harmonica into the pulpit to demonstrate it i that feel like way. that would be better you are a proficient harmonica player i well number one thank you <laughs> you didn't always say that about me so well you weren't what... always an efficient proficient harmonica player i know that's right yeah, you had to sit through a lot of training practice sessions I feel like I I vaguely remember the first time you played harmonica for me when we were dating like in a dorm room somewhere. Yeah. Freshman year. And I don't remember what you were playing, but I I wasn't really that impressed. <laughs> You're talking to yeah. someone who played piano for like 13 years. So we just started dating. I told you that that I played harmonica and pretty early on in our relationship, I came to your dorm room one night wore sunglasses, called myself Louisiana Fats, and played it was a whole it was a whole bit. It was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um this probably qualifies for guitar so plickens. Anything else you want to say in this in the I, we skipped over references. You did kind of you referenced already that you people that you wanted to reference, you've referenced uh The Last of Us. Yep. Which I gave up on. There was Lightning Hopkins, Andrew Del Banco, the Columbia professor, and then our old friend Robert Stone. Stories explain the nature of things. The laws of both language and art impose choices that are unavoidably moral. Got it. And then, uh, That's why we love stories. In the guitar slipickens, I would add that the, there's a question, something you wish to read you, like the, the lovey, the whole lovey incident. Oh. <laughs> Uh, what do you mean? It is kind of a new word. I will grant you that, but it, yeah. Megan Clapper is a champ. For, <laughs> Dealing I, with you. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I wouldn't. I, it was I, a genuine I, question on your part, but yeah, it I'm, came off. As... I'm not sure if Megan's going to listen to this episode or not, but but Megan, I want you to know that I knew that you could handle. <laughs> Being asked what's be, a lovey. <laughs> be having, having to think fast on your feet in front of a room full of people about what a lovey is. And, and she, she nailed it. We knew that she would. <laughs> you understand the concept now. I think it's a British term, lovey. Uh, oh, uh, 
Oh, this is good. Yes, I. It is a British term, but I. But I don't think it's used as a quite in this context. In the American, in right, the new, for, the new for, term for like a baby. This object. just means you're too old. Well, <laughs> I am out of my baby phase. Do we have anything else? I think we can close up. Right. Thank you, Helen Wolf Tom, once again, and that's postsundayblues at gmail dot com. And Helen Wolf Clara. And Helen Wolf Clara. <laughs> that's right. Our lovely spicy Helen Helen Wolf cub. <laughs> precocious that one um we'll see if we if jim decides to implement her feedback but do you mean for next week or what, what do you mean <laughs> well she said she said uh we don't need any more of your singing please refrain to once every two years oh yeah that's not gonna happen <laughs> nope not gonna happen anything else you want to say before we close up thanks for listening everybody happy mardi gras and with that, how was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post-Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. Well,